We're going to pursue a thought here that's found in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you'd like to open your Bible, if you have one, you can turn there. It's toward the back of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, um, the text, much of which we'll read today, will be printed on the screen so you can follow along that way. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, if you'd let us know that, and I know that may seem a little awkward, but we'd be glad to get a Bible for you. Uh, if you'd let us know, hey, I need a Bible. I don't have one. We want you to have one. And so we'll get one and put it in your hands. You can write in it, mark it up, make it your own as, as you read and study and try to figure out who God is and who you are in Him. All right? So the power of an indestructible life is what we're going to be talking about. And to kind of lead into this today, I want, I want some help. So if you can help me out every week we ask for help, uh, how would you define the term indestructible? And don't be bashful. Indestructible. Yes. It can't be broken. Okay? Indestructible. Can't be destroyed. All right? Somebody else? Indestructible. All right, well, you guys are right on track, and I'm sure everybody else is thinking this. All right, it means impossible to destroy. If you were looking up in a dictionary, that's what it would say. It's impossible to destroy. So when you think about that, there may be something that comes to mind, or, or maybe not. I'm going to share a few examples with you, and maybe it'll help trigger some things in your life. But I remember this commercial of a hammer. You guys remember this? And this guy would put this hammer down, and he would back his truck over the hammer just to show that it was this indestructible hammer that couldn't be broken. And then he would bring out a sledgehammer and he'd start beating that hammer with a sledgehammer and it wouldn't mark it up or nick it at all. And he was just trying to sell you on the indestructible hammer. And then he brought out a jackhammer and he would just jackhammer that thing like crazy and it wouldn't leave a mark on it whatsoever. And the whole point of it was this hammer was supposed to be indestructible, right? Impossible to destroy. And I, never, I never bought one. I can destroy things and I think I probably could break that one. But from the commercial anyway, nobody could destroy it. When I think about indestructible people, I think about a guy named Muhammad Ali. Ever heard of him? Right? Muhammad Ali passed away not too long ago, but a famous boxer, one of the world's greatest boxers, uh, undoubtedly, and self-professed greatest boxer on the planet, right? He was a shy little man that wouldn't really talk much about himself. Now here's some things that he said. He said, I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fast, I'm pretty. And I cannot possibly be beaten. I told you I'm the real champion. I told you I'm the champion of the world. So all of you bow. He said that. I mean, it's on a video. You can go watch it. Shortly after that, Muhammad Ali is the one who is bowing. Why? Because he lost. That's right. Because he's destructible just like you and I are. He thought he was indestructible. Nobody could beat him. He's the greatest. I'm the king of the world. And you know all his little cliches, right? Uh, but he was beaten at least five times. Destructible. And it also takes me back to even a more personal story. I had this friend in college, and we were um, weight training for basketball. Early in the morning, you get up at like 5 o'clock, and from 5 to 7, you would condition and weight train. Which you can tell, right? I've never been strong. I've never looked like I was strong. Um, doesn't matter. 
So anyway, after you'd lift weights, you'd go back to your room, but you felt strong. You know, your adrenaline was pumping. And so these guys, and we had a couple guys, just kind of to give you a little bit of a, a picture of the relationship. We're not the smartest guys in, on campus, but we would take like golf balls and throw them as hard as we could at one another until somebody would quit. You guys did that too, right? Or tennis balls, right? There's some things I'm good at, all right? Uh, it's, we exchange punches. You guys do that? Punch each other in the shoulder as hard as you could or punch each other in the face as hard as you can until somebody quits. All right, so we'd just be crying, but nobody would say uncle. Nobody would say mercy. Nobody wanted to quit. So that's the kind of guys that we're talking about. And so we'd come in. We thought we were indestructible. So we'd go to our room after weightlifting. And uh, this buddy of mine came in one day, one morning, and he had in his hand between... The, the middle fingers on each of his hands, these concrete anchors like um, that you would hang a picture on on a concrete wall. They were plastic, and on the back of them had three little nails, maybe half-inch nails sticking out of the back of them. And so he's got those things shoved between his fingers, and he came in and had his shirt on, he starts pounding his chest. He says, you can't hurt me, you can't hurt me, because we've just been trying to kill one another. And so he comes in, I mean, just adrenaline pumping, as mad as he can be, I'm like, man, what are you doing? And so he doesn't realize it, but we're all just standing there, eyes wide open. About 30 seconds later, I mean, his chest is just covered with little blood droplets. And so when the adrenaline went away, he was hurting for a few days, right? He realized that he was what? Okay, stupidly destructible. You're not going to throw golf balls with me after the service? No, I'm not playing that game. I'm not playing anymore either. So the point of all that is lots of things on the planet, lots of people, sometimes we think we're indestructible. Nothing can hurt me. No one can harm me. Nothing can get to me. I'm tough. I'm sealed. I'm a vault. Do your best, but you can't proceed. You can't get in. Uh, and yet we'll see today that we are just as destructible as anybody who's ever lived. But we're going to look at a guy who's described as being indescribable. Okay? And so Hebrews 7 is where we're going to pick up this guy. Uh, and his name is, is Jesus, and you've probably heard about him, but we're going to hear about him here again uh, today. We're going to read verses 11 through 25 here in just a minute, but I want to give you a backdrop, okay? We're, we're talking about, in this section of Scripture, the, the priests. And so we're not going to get into the whole sacrificial system, but I want to talk to you a minute about the high priest. There were a group of people known as the Levites. They were a tribe, Okay? And the Levite tribe was the priestly tribe. And so all the people who'd work in the temple were from the tribe of Levi. And your high priest, there was only one of these guys, and he was the high priest for as long as he lived. And when he was getting ready to die, then he basically he'd pass the baton to his eldest son, who would then become the next high priest for as long as he lived. Does that make sense? So just kind of this generational thing, year after year after year after year, or whatever, generation, generation after generation. And uh, the high priest had a job of offering sacrifices once a year in this place called the Most Holy Place. And we'll outline that here in just a minute. But he'd go in there one time a year to basically offer uh, a sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of this Jewish people, the Israelite people. Uh, once a year he was allowed in. And so we're going to look here. That's kind of the backdrop of this context, talking about priests and high priests. We're going to find Jesus here is going to be identified as the high priest. 
kind of the once for all high priest and what that means for you and I here, here this morning. Uh, so let's go ahead and track here to Hebrews chapter 7, talking about the Levitical priests. Okay, so when you re- see these words, hopefully that has a little bit of understanding. A lot we could talk about, we just don't have time today. But here's the deal. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, that is, if you and I could be made perfect with God by simply offering the sacrifice of an animal, then what's the point of Jesus coming? Right? If we've already got a good system in place that can take care of people's sins, why change it? What's the old expression? If it's not broke, what? Don't fix it. So if the old system is working, why are we going to talk about a new system? If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, made perfect with God, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, that means God gave this law, it had a purpose, then why was there still need for another priest to come, who's Jesus, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So Jesus was not a Levite. So what were the Levites known for? They were all priests. So Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi, um, which means he's not a generational priest. right? So his father wasn't a priest, and his father was getting ready to die, and Jesus comes along now, he's the priest until he dies. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He's from a tribe that's going to last forever, and that's important. The tribe of Levi has ceased, right? We don't need that anymore because Jesus, this high priest forever, has come. All right, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. And so there's this movement away from an old priesthood, Levites, to this new priest, Jesus. And so what the old law used to do, we're not doing that anymore. There's a new way of doing things. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. It's from the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. No one from the tribe of Judah has ever been a priest. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Priests were Levites. Verse 15. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who's become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, Father, Son, Father, Son, Father, Son. But on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Okay? Here's the qualification for being a priest that lasts forever. You've got to be indestructible. On the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak, it was useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. God didn't make a promise that the Levites are going to go forever. The Levites are done. God did make a promise that this guy who's going to have an indestructible life will last forever. And so he gave this oath. It was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever. So because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor or tour of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing an office. They keep passing away, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Right? So you've got an old way of doing things and you've got a new way. The old way was the priest with the high priest, and now you've got the new way, this new covenant, which is going to be through Jesus power of an indestructible life. So a few things we'll highlight as we make our way through this 
this morning uh, as it relates to the resurrection. And so we believe in the resurrection here, and so we're going to start with that. Because of the resurrection, and we'll highlight a few things. All right, number one, because of the resurrection, we've been given direct and unlimited access to God. All right, so think with me for a minute. Let's say that this room right here would represent the temple, kind of the Old Testament temple. Where you and I are standing right now would be known as kind of the inner courtyard. Okay, so outside you've got everything else going on. Do what you want outside. In here was kind of a reverent place, respectful place. And so you'd come in this room, bring your sacrifice. A priest would meet you here, sacrifice an animal, and begin the process of paying for your sins. Okay, so we'd be here. Let's say the stage would be kind of a separate room. And so that would be known as the holy place. And that's where the priest could go in, and they could go in there every day. And they did, often every day. Listen, some guys' jobs was just to deal in blood all day long. Somebody would come confessing sin, they'd offer a sacrifice, put some on the altar, and they'd go in the holy place, put some there, your sin has been atoned for, next. And that's kind of how they spent their days. Now, there was another room that was called what? Do you remember? All right, it's the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. So let's say that it's through that door over there, okay? No one can go through that door except for whom? The high priest, and he can go how often? Once a year. All right, fantastic. So we've got the courtyard, the most holy place, which visited every day, and then behind that door over there would be the most holy place. And so the high priest would go through that door, not literally, all right, just thinking with me, would go through a door like that to the most holy place where he would meet uh, and where he would be in the presence of God. And he would go in there and make atonement for sins. That is, he would go in there and bring blood with him, put it on the altar for himself and for the sins of all the people. That was his specific job. Now, here's what the Bible says. When Jesus was crucified, all right, so from noon to three on that, what we call the Good Friday, when Jesus was crucified, it says the sky went dark, the earth shook, but it also says the curtain, what? Or the veil, it split or it was torn in two. So here's how that would work. If Jesus would have been crucified like where that cross is, that door over there would just disintegrate. It no longer exists. What does that mean? It means that anybody can now go into that back room, into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. Does that make sense? So now he is the high priest. So I don't go to a man who goes to that back room once a year for me. I can go to Jesus all day, any day because he's... High priest forever, right? The Bible says that he always lives. So let's go back and read this here again. We're talking about having access to God. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and it was useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Now we'll talk about a better hope in just a minute. But here we're talking about drawing near to God. So anybody in the room could then make their way and go through that door and talk to God. Make sense? So we have direct, unlimited, all-day access to, to God the Father. And that's what we're talking about here. So had Jesus not died, or had Jesus have died even, and there had been no resurrection, there'd be no new covenant, there'd be no hope, there'd be no way we could access God. So we'd be forever separated. Forever sinful people never having any access to God. But because Jesus serves as the high priest forever, 
We go through Jesus to God and we can access God all day long. He is our access. And so here's what the author of Hebrews then says as well. Since this is true, since the veil was torn to the most holy place, since we have direct and unlimited access to God, then let's approach God. Come to the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay? So that's true for anybody in this room this morning. You may have never come to God before. Or you may have come to God before and you've been hurt and you think God has trashed your life or He's against you. Uh, Couldn't be anything more true this morning than God is for you. And He's demonstrated that in one way by tearing down a door to give you access unlimited, direct to His Father. Okay? And so let's approach the throne of God to find help in our time of need. We have been given direct and unlimited access to God, thankfully, through the indestructible life of Jesus. Indestructible means they put him down, but they couldn't keep him down, right? We sing a song that says the grave could not hold him, right? From the, the grave couldn't keep him from rising again. It just was powerless to that extent. So nothing would keep Jesus down. It may have been a surprise to the disciples, but it wasn't a surprise to God. All right, secondly here, quickly, because of the resurrection, those who believe are going to be guaranteed of the blessings that come with this new covenant. How many of you like a guarantee? A warranty. Right? We like that kind of stuff. We are guaranteed people. There are people who make a very good living just supplying a guarantee. A warranty. And you think about it. When you go buy a vehicle, one of the things you want to know is, what's my warranty? And what kind of warranty do we want? Once you drive off the lot, it's yours. Whatever happens, it's totally on you. Would you buy that brand new car? No, I think you'd go to a different dealership, right? We want as much as we can possibly get, so we want the 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty, don't we? We want the bumper-to-bumper, the unrestricted. We want the roadside assistance. We want the quarterly oil changes for as long as we own the vehicle. We want the tire rotations. We want everything. And if that doesn't cover it enough, we can then also purchase a... An extended warranty, right? And you can buy a warranty for anything. And you check out with any piece of technology. And the cashier will tell you before she rings you out or he rings you out, would you like the warranty? Whatever, $18.99, $49.99, right? For a two-year warranty. And we buy it like crazy. Lots of the times we don't use it, okay? Why? Because we like the guarantee. We find some security and some comfort in the warranty and something that is backing what it is that we've purchased. Now, let's talk here about a guarantee that doesn't need an extension. Let's talk about a guarantee that doesn't need anything added to it. Like, you probably own something that has a lifetime guarantee. What does that mean at best? It means it's temporary. Right? We make it, oh, it's a lifetime guarantee, okay? It means it's going to last maybe 60, 70, 80 years. That's your lifetime, and then it's over, right? So at best, it is a temporary guarantee. Would you like to hear about a guarantee that lasts forever? I mean, would you want to know about and own a warranty that could be yours for as long as you live? I'm trying to sell it to you, all right? Yeah, you would, and I would as well. 
And so let's go back and read about it. This is a new oath. All right? Or because this is, a, this is an oath. The other one didn't have an oath, didn't have a promise. The priests, the Levites, that was going to end. This new order has no end. And God says, I'm going to seal this with a promise. And the promise is going to be one, he's indestructible. God cannot lie. And he's going to live forever. And so he's backing this himself. Because of this oath, this promise, Jesus has become the guarantor or the surety of a better covenant. That is, Jesus is the backer. I had a conversation with a couple here about two weeks ago looking to build a brand new facility right out here off of um, Highway 111 and 270. And they tried to secure a loan from the bank, went by themselves initially, and they couldn't get the loan for the amount that they needed. Right? It's like maybe six million or eight million bucks. And the bank says, no, you don't have enough backing behind you for us to feel confident that we can loan this to you and get our money back. And so they said, you need to go find a what? You need to find a guarantor or an investor or a backer. Right? Somebody that's got some financial backing behind you, then come back and we'll give you the loan. And so that's what they did. They went and prayed and asked God to supply this backer and they find an investor who's got tons of cash and he has said, yeah, I'll back this. I'd love to be a part of what's going on here. So they go back to the bank and the bank just gives them the loan. What's happened? They've got a backer, right? They've got a warranty. They've got an investor. They've got somebody there who can who can stand beside or who is good for the loan that they are about to, to take out. And so here in this context, Jesus is the backer. He's the guarantor. He's the one who is standing there saying, as long as I live, this will remain. And the Bible says, how long does he live? Forever. And so this is not just a lifetime warranty. This is an, an eternal lifetime warranty. Like it lasts for as long as you last. Do you know how long you last? Not a trick question. Forever, right? From the moment one and one come together and make one, where there is a soul that's being built within a woman, that soul will remain forever. You never cease to exist ever. You had a beginning but you will never have an end. You say, that's not true. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've got friends and family who are buried in cemeteries all around here. I'm telling you what the Bible says. They haven't ended. They've just shed their temporary coat. Right? My soul is untouchable. You can't get to me. You can harm my skin. You can cut and I'll bleed. But you can't touch my soul. And so it's just going to go on forever. So the very fact that you're breathing now means you're going to exist forever. And what Jesus says is he's going to assure us of his backing, right? In him, you have this lifetime warranty. And he's the guarantor of it as somebody who has been resurrected. The power of an indestructible life is the guarantee behind what Jesus is saying here. So let's go back to this way of thinking for a minute. Earlier I said there's a better hope. There's a new covenant, right? Which means there had to be an old hope or an old covenant that wasn't that great. So here's some of the things that the old covenant under the sacrificial system, the priests, remember that whole situation? Here's what was going on there when you and I came into a courtyard to bring a, an animal to take care of our sin. 
number one is we wouldn't be justified. That means we're still sinful people. Our sin isn't forgiven. It was covered, but it wasn't removed. At that point, we still had guilt. At that point, our conscience was not clear. All right, so we remain as people who are sinful, still full of our shame, of our guilt, of our regret, of an unclear conscience. There's not peace. None of that stuff exists under the old covenant. All right, it was just to point to something that was better. And so we've got now here what we read just a minute ago, the better covenant. And the better covenant says this, I'll make you perfect. How many of you perfect? All right, as, as I look at me in the mirror, I go, no, Corey, you're not perfect. But as I look at me the way that God sees me, I go, yes, you are perfect. Because God sees me through Jesus. Remember, he's my high priest. He's the one who's opened the door. And I get access to God through faith in Jesus. And so when God looks at me, and he, as he looks at you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, follower of his, he sees you as perfect. That's a better covenant, don't you think? Imperfect, perfect. Which one would you take? You all would line up over here, all right? So would I. We want to be perfect. We want to shed some of this stuff that just kind of seems to ruin us or ruin relationships or helps us make bad decisions. We want to, we want to remove that from us. And so we've got perfection. We've got sin removed, all right? So I'm no longer walking around with this stuff. It's, it's taken. The Bible says that God takes my sin and he forgives it and he forgets it. It's gone. And so in his eyes, it no longer exists. He takes away my guilt. You ever laid your head down at night guilty? Ever? Man, I've spent a lot of nights just laying there like, I hope nobody finds out about that one. That's pretty bad. And I've also been able to fall asleep before I fell over because there was such a peace in my heart, right? Not because I was good, but because I was forgiven. God takes care of these things. And so there's a difference. Walk around with guilt or walk around guilt-free. Which side are you lining up on? You guys are going to start moving this way, aren't you? This is the good side, all right? I'm still accountable for my sin, or I come over here where the scripture says I am justified. And one way to remember that is just as if I'd never sinned. So how would you want to be known? Sinful, wretch, despicable, or justified? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm coming over on this side. All right? I need a lot of help to get there though because I like to reside over here. And so I'm perfect. My guilt is removed. I'm justified. I'm literally being changed from the inside out. The old covenant couldn't change me whatsoever. The new covenant says the Spirit of God lives in you. And you begin to get different. You begin to think differently. The way that you love begins to change. The way that you see the world begins to change because God lives in you. It's different. You are literally changing. Man, that sounds so much better than me trying to fix or hide or cover up Everything that I'd like to change that I just can't change myself. My conscience is clear here. My conscience isn't clear here. I've got peace here. I've got no peace here. I've got joy here. I've got no joy here. This is the side I want to be on. Does it sound like it's a better covenant? 
And that's what we read. Jesus promised, or God promised with an oath, that this is a better hope. It's a better covenant than the old one. The old one just pointed to this. I heard a guy say it this way. Think about the old system like a blueprint. Some of you have built homes. Maybe you've helped construct churches or buildings. You've laid all sorts of pipe, wire, according to a blueprint, a diagram. Before you start building, how important is the blueprint? Do you even care? I just go build something. Throw the boards together and shoot it with some nails, and however it ends, we'll take that. No way. You pay great attention to the details, don't you? You think through every scenario. You think about how much time it's going to take, how much money it's going to cost, what the end result is going to be. The blueprint matters a lot. But once you get the building, like how much time do you spend with the blueprint after that? I mean, what's better, the blueprint or the building? You guys have blueprints framed over your fireplaces and people come over and sip coffee and just stare at your blueprints? What a blueprint. No. We roll them up and we tuck them away in closets that get water damaged, right? Because we don't care about them anymore. They're not that important. They were very important initially, but they pointed to something that was better. The old sacrificial system is like the blueprint. It was temporary. It was pointing to a building who was Jesus that would be much better. And since Jesus has come, who is this new high priest who's taken down the door that gives us access to God, now we can come to him with full confidence and faith. Right? He's this better covenant. He's given us this complete and direct access. And he's guaranteed every blessing will flow our direction for those who believe in him. Because of the resurrection... Every blessing from this high priest flows your way. It flows my way, all right? And then three here and last, and we're going to wrap this up here in just a minute as we gather around the table. Uh, and again, you're more than welcome. We'd love to have you gather if, you, if you'd like to. But three here, because of the resurrection, salvation is full and it's final for all who believe. And so we've talked about warranties. They're temporary, all right? Ten-year warranty, Temporary. The shingles on your house, 15-year warranty, temporary. All right? uh, the warranty on your hammer, which is lifetime, it's temporary. All that stuff is temporary. Here we're talking about something that is full and it's final, and that's true for everybody who believes. And so because of the power of an indestructible life, this can be your reality, and this is my reality. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is able to save how much? completely or fully those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Remember, he's the backer. He's the investor. He's the one interceding and he's going to do that forever because he lives forever. What does full salvation mean to you? 70%? It's 100%, right? I mean... What if God said, I'll give you 70% and 30% on you. You've got to get that on your own. We'd be stuck, right? We'd be trying to be good enough. We'd try to rally enough people around us who think that we're good or who would say good things of us, who we're kind to and they're kind to return. They'd say, oh yeah, they're pretty good people. We're still 30% short when it comes to perfection. And so when God saves, He does so completely. It doesn't matter what you've done. Right? It doesn't matter... In, how stubborn I am. It doesn't matter what secret sins that we have that no one knows about. When God saves, He saves 
fully. And he saves completely. And his salvation is also not just fully, but it's final. That means he saves for as long as he lives. How long does Jesus live? Forever. Okay, very good. So his salvation then is for how long? Forever. And he serves as our high priest for how long? Forever. And we need that. All right? Because if he ever stops ceasing to be our high priest, interceding between us and God, we've got problems. And so he lives forever as our high priest. He's our access to God today. He's our access to God always. And so the only reason this morning that you and I can be fully and finally saved is because of the power of an indestructible life. Religious leaders did their worst. They tried, didn't they? And they beat a guy beyond recognition. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they stripped him of his clothes and they put a robe on him and dressed him up like a Barbie doll staff in his hand. And they worshipped him in mockery. Look at this king. We can't even recognize him anymore. They forced him to carry a cross, a cross that he willingly laid down on, that he bore his arms out, legs, he was nailed to. He's done all of this. They hung him there and they mocked him. They belittled him. He dies. They stick him with a spear. They put him in a tomb. They seal the tomb. They think it's done. And three days later, the tomb is what? It's empty. The world did its best and they couldn't keep him down because he's indestructible. And because he's indestructible, let me share one last reality with you. In a way, you and I can be indestructible as well. Now, I'm not saying go stand out in the middle of Horseshoe Lake Road and take on that semi. That won't work out well for you. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, remember, this is just outer clothing. It's no different than this shirt. I'm going to shed it one day, but you can't touch my soul. I mean, death is nothing more than a doorway to my Savior. I never cease to exist. You never cease to exist, which makes me, what? Indestructible. And I've got all these blessings in Christ. The Bible also teaches the flip side of that indestruction. I'm not even sure how to classify that. You are indestructibly going to be destroyed if that makes sense. For those who follow the flesh, for those who hear about Jesus Christ, say, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't believe you're resurrected. I don't think there's a God. I think this is all hocus pocus. Church has had its time. It's done. I don't need any of this. That's totally your call. But one day you'll come before a holy God who's going to ask you, just as he's going to ask me, what did you do with Jesus? When you say, I put my hands up, say, I don't want anything to do with him. The Bible says that leads to destruction. Now destruction there wouldn't even be so bad if it was ultimate destruction. What the Bible says is that that is an eternal destruction. It just goes on and goes on and goes on. You're being destroyed without literally being annihilated forever. And so my point today is not to scare you into, oh, I've got to get on this side because I don't want to be on that side. There should be some healthy fear there, by the way. 
is to know the truth. The truth is there is a God who loves me and loves you, who gave His Son. And there was a Son who walked this planet just like you and I walk it today. And He willingly died, sinless, perfect, to become our high priest. To grant anybody who will believe in Him access full and direct to God the Father. Where there's complete salvation, full forgiveness, guilt removed, conscience cleared, peace has come, relationship restored, Joy that's unspeakable, right? This life that is indestructible. That's yours. And he's just holding it there for all who will believe. And so maybe today you'd like to believe. We didn't read it, but verse 26 goes on to say, this high priest is truly what we need. And I would suggest to all of us today, He's truly the one we need. And so maybe this morning you'd like to receive Him as your Savior. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that God sent Jesus and that Jesus died and was resurrected, if we believe truly that He's the Son of God and we confess with our mouth that we're sinful people, repenting of our sin, and we'll confess Jesus as our Lord, He'll save us. That's on him. And remember how he saves? Completely. And yet he'll also let us walk out of here today the same way we walked in if we're not saved. And so maybe this morning you'd like to receive Jesus. I want to encourage you just to pray here in just a moment and, and just be honest with him. There's not certain phrases you've got to say. It's not get this word right and that word. It's your heart. I'm a sinner and I need help. I'm on this side and I've got to move to this side and I know that you've provided the way so I trust in you. Help me understand you. Help me know how to live submitted to you. He would meet you here today to accomplish that. And so in just a minute we're going to pray and I'd like to pray with you if that's the case. But maybe you're here and you've already been saved. I just want to remind you, I hope you've been encouraged as you think about that wooden door has been torn down, which has provided access all day, every day for you to God. You've been completely saved. Just think about the greatest blessings that have flowed your direction that lasts forever because of an indestructible life. See, here in just a moment, we're going to gather around this table. And we gather around this table to celebrate this very thing. The power of an indestructible life. A body that was broken, blood that was shed, so we could be forgiven. That's for all who believe. Not for all who attend a church. It's not all for all whose name is on a membership roll. It's not for all who just do good. It's for all who believe. Sin, sinful people. You think you've walked in here a sinner today? You've met your match in me, I guarantee you. We could go toe-to-toe if we want to talk about how much of a wretch and sinful you are versus me. I believe I win that competition. And yet I've been saved through no merit of my own. And I stand, stand here as a humble, grateful recipient of the grace of Christ. That can be your story today as well.